Okay, I just have a couple of minutes here, and if you could turn in your Bibles to Psalm 16. Yeah, please pray for our Good Friday service. The LDS Church doesn't do anything for Good Friday, so we have a service and invite our neighbors and friends, and and we ask them to come to <laughs> we ask them to come to uh, uh, dessert afterwards at our house. The ones that we've invited, and last year we have our service at seven, from seven to eight, which is past my bedtime. Um, and uh, but they stayed till ten, and just amazing opportunities. So it's it's one of those rare opportunities that we have throughout the year. I think of Good Friday and uh, Christmas Eve service. It's a great opportunity for people to come and hear the gospel. So please pray. Thank you for praying. Uh, Psalm 16, uh, let's look to the word together this evening because the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. When I was in high school, my Bible teacher... Oh, some of you might know him, Jerry McCorkle. We know that name. Great name, first of all. Um, uh, he was my Bible teacher, so we had a lot of fun with that name. Uh, so uh, he, uh, through middle school and high school, and he taught he he took us through a couple of like John Piper books, and I remember this passage, Psalm 16. He talked about with us how. Our foolish joy is found in the Lord. And I was stunned. I was one of those kids that thought following Christ doesn't sound very fun. I'm going to miss out on so much. I can't do the fun stuff. The Lord used this passage to change me. You see, sports was a big deal for me. My Bible teacher would ask, what does the athlete say after the world championship? What does he always say? It hasn't sunk in yet. And Jerry McCorkle would say to me, it will never sink in. It will never sink in. This will never give the true joy that it claims to give. It's like going after another god by going after these things that we think are going to give real joy and satisfaction, but will not. And this passage hits on this. It's only found in following the Lord. So we're going to take Psalm 16. This is going to be one of those sermons. Someone gave me a really great compliment one time, a long time ago. said, you had a great sermon. I felt like I was looking down the whole time. Like, yeah, I like that a lot. Okay, so this is going to be one of those sermons. We're going to look down the whole time. Okay, because I have to go fast. This is a a long sermon that's going to be short. So you, ready, you buckled up, ready to do this? Okay, here we go. We're going to take Psalm 16 and move through it really quickly. There's like four verse stanzas we're going to hit on to make three points from David's psalm. Here's the first one. The Lord is my highest good. The Lord is my highest good. I will pursue him above all else. The Lord is my highest good. I will pursue him above all else. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, ready? You looking down? Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. It starts with a kind of lament. Preserve me, O God. It sounds like David is kind of fearful of something. What is he fearful of? Why, why is David so concerned? We'll come back to that. And here is how David takes refuge. Look at verse 2. See, we're going quick. Verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Do you believe that? 
No good apart from you. That's what he says. My, my, here's a good way to translate this, I think. My good things are not over you. You get that imagery? My good things are not more important than you. Meaning that David, one author says, David refuses to exalt anything over Yahweh. Sure, there are things all over the place that are good, right? Good things all over the place. Good family, good home, good food, good city. You get the point. Good things everywhere. None of these good things are over the Lord. Having all of these good things doesn't surpass the pleasure of having the Lord. The Lord is my highest good. I will pursue him above all else. But now look at verse, the next verse, verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Because David finds the Lord as his highest good, because he pursues the Lord above all other pursuits, he finds so much joy in relationship with people who also pursue the Lord above all else. You see that there? He finds joy there in people who pursue the Lord. David is saying, one author says this, I'm going to emphasize the fact that the Lord is my highest good and I will pursue him above all else by talking about what makes me happy and glad about people. He doesn't mean that he has delight in God's people instead of God or above God. He means that godless people don't give him delight in their godless ways. Only godly people do. Think about all the people in the world. The most influential people in the world. The most powerful people in the world. And we can be tempted to think that their greatness apart is, is think about their greatness apart from thinking about their godliness. David is saying what brings him the most brings him most joy in a person, what brings him delight in a person is the fact that they find their Lord as their highest good. One pastor says this, he says, I wonder if you're sitting there thinking this. I've adjusted a little bit, but I, I, don't, I don't like the Christians that I know. Or, I, I actually have more fun with my unbelieving friends. And this pastor, he says, if that's you, I think you should ask yourself two questions. One, do you know any Christians? I mean Christians, not churchgoers. Radical people who have given up their lives to follow Jesus. They're sold out for the cause of Christ. They're regularly reading the scriptures. Christians. They're talking about how God is working in them. Do you know any Christians? Like really know any real Christians? Do you know them? Here's the second question. So do you know Christians? Second question. Are you a Christian? Why would it be that you, a professing Christian, would find more joy in people who find no joy in what is your primary joy? Let me try that again. Why would it be that you, a professing Christian, would find more joy in people who find no joy in what is your primary joy? What would that mean? Are you a Christian? Perhaps your far primary joy is not actually found in Christ. Perhaps you don't see the Lord as your highest good, not pursuing the Lord above all else. As New Testament Christians... Do you love the people of this church? Because they are seeking to follow the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. As a Christian, we find our closest relationships here with people who say, we pursue Christ. We're on the same team. We're in this together. We're for each other because we're for the Lord. 
But shouldn't we befriend unbelievers too? Shouldn't they be our friends too because they need to come to know Jesus? Yes, of course. But David is talking about what brings him joy. Seeing people follow the Lord with their life brings David joy. Look at verse 4. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Do you see that? Look, David won't go near the worship, of, worship and sacrifice, uh, sacrificial offerings of the false gods. He, he won't even take his, their name on his lips. I will not give him the honor of naming him. I'm totally satisfied in God. So totally satisfied by God, as God is my pleasure, if another God comes along and offers me anything, not only will I not pour out any libation of, uh, pour out any libation of worship to this God, I won't even take his name on my lips. David sees that false teaching is actually anti-God. The Lord is David's pursuit. After reading this, you should ask yourself this question first. Am I running after the right God? Am I running after the Lord? Am I pursuing the right Lord? It says those who run after another God, their sorrows will multiply. And we see that in Utah, what I said earlier. If you're following a different God, you should know that your sorrows will multiply. If your sorrows are multiplying, you ought to ask yourself, am I following a different God? The Lord is my highest good, I pursue him above all else. Secondly, the Lord is my surpassing treasure. Stole that word from, you know it, John Piper. He uses that word all the time. And here it is. I, this is where I get the, so John Piper says, or the, the text says this, and John Piper uses this term, treasure. He is my portion and cup. This is what he says. There's a table spread before him. You see that in verse 5 and 6? The portion and cup, verse 5. There's a table spread before him with, a, with hundreds of delectable portions and cups filled with the finest wine. He looks and says, there, that one, God, that, that God. God is my chosen portion and my cup. You can spread before me all the portions you, you want in this world, everything. You can spread all the cups with every imaginable taste in the world. I choose God as my portion. And my cup is overflowing, and it's God. I'll put it this way, Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is my surpassing treasure. I value him above all else. Look what, he's, look what the Lord does. Look at verse 5. You hold my lot. The Lord holds my lot. When the lot falls, when, quote, unquote, chance takes over, when luck comes around, it's actually not chance or luck. It's the Lord's good providence, is what he's saying. He holds my lot. And when you trust in him, he plants you in pleasant places and gives you a beautiful inheritance. See that? The lines have fallen. Verse 6, have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That word pleasant places is the same word in verse 11 for pleasures. Pleasures. I think David is talking about receiving the Lord. I don't think he's talking about a piece of land. I think he's talking about the pleasure of the Lord there. He is my inheritance. I receive him. Relationship with the Lord. Do you have a relationship with the Lord like that? Do you meet with the Lord regularly? Not do you read your Bible and pray. Yes, read your Bible and pray, but not just to tick it off the list. Do it because you're meeting with Christ. You're meeting with the Lord. 
And the Lord gives him good counsel in verse 7. You see that? I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. My heart also instructs me. It reminds me of Psalm 1, the introduction to this whole Psalter. Psalm 1 says, His delight is in the teachings of the Lord. And on his teachings he meditates day and night. He values the Lord so much that he takes the Lord's counsel in the middle of the night. Do you wake up in the middle of the night with his word on your mind? That's what I want. When I wake up in worry or fear of what's coming the next day, I want his word to fill my mind. Meditate on it day and night. That's how he keeps near to him. The Lord is my surpassing treasure. I value him above all else. So I'll be in his word. I'll seek his counsel. My heart will be in it. I'll value him. Do your kids know that you value him above all else? Where would your kids say your heart is in what you value? Do your kids know that the best way to please mom and dad is to value him above all else? That's our biggest concern as parents, right? That our kids love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. I had a friend say, we don't want good kids, we want godly kids. Our biggest concern is not their grades in school. Now, they're going to work hard in school and you're going to hold them to task, right? Because... Uh, they love the Lord and work as under the Lord. But our biggest concern as parents is that they love the Lord. Our biggest concern is not their athletic ability. Our biggest concern is not that they're one of the cool kids. Are you okay with your kid being one of the weird kids? Because he just loves the Lord with all that he has? And he gets called names? You okay with that? Absolutely. Because as it turns out, you won't shield him from being weird. You're a little weird, too. <laughs> Not me. You. you. <laughs> the Lord is surpassing treasure. I value him above all else. And when I value the Lord first, I will not be shaken. Verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Why? Because I've now entered into a loving relationship with him. You see the relational language there in verse 8? You're looking down, you see that in verse 8? When we see that the Lord is my surpassing treasure, then he, we get a relationship with the Lord. We get God. That's the good news. We get to have a relationship with him. I think sometimes we're tempted to think that our value stems from the good works that we do. I just do enough good works and I have to have all these good works. We're like, no, it's not by, we're not saved by our works, but man, if we do good works, man, we're more valuable to the Lord. God will love me more, we think. God will accept me if I just do these good works. And if... The better I am at doing good works, the more he will accept me. But no, we are, we are accepted on the basis of our treasure, our heart, our value, our love for the Lord, our trust in him. So trust in him today. Third, the Lord is my fullest joy. I'm satisfied in him forever. Third, the Lord is my fullest joy. I'm satisfied in him forever. Remember at the beginning, David seems afraid of something. Preserve me, O oh God. For in you I take refuge. What is David afraid of? See if you can see it when I read. Therefore, this is verse 9. 
My heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Praise the Lord. What's David afraid of? Why does David go from preserve me, O God, in verse 1, to I shall not be shaken? What's the fear? What would cause him to totter? David is afraid of dying. He says, I don't, I don't want to die. I don't want to stand. I love the Lord so much, I don't want to just rot in Sheol, the grave. I don't want my body to just rot and die. He knows that he will die, but he also knows that he will sit at the Lord's right hand with pleasures forevermore. And I don't think, personal opinion, that David knows exactly how this is going to work out. But he trusts the Lord. This is the Lord's revelation to David. David knows that the Lord will get victory over the grave on his behalf. Praise the Lord. Now check this out, okay, quickly. In the book of Acts, Peter preaches a sermon in chapter 2 of Acts and uses this passage. And what does he say about this passage? He says that David here is talking about Jesus. Jesus will not be left in Sheol. Jesus' body will not see corruption. And it's true. This passage is about Jesus, and I think it's true. This passage is about David, and it's true that if we place our full trust in Christ... This passage is about us. David's body will not be abandoned in the grave because of what? Easter. It's coming up. His body will not be abandoned in the grave because Christ's body was not abandoned in the grave. And Christian, your body will not be abandoned in the grave because Jesus' body was not abandoned in the grave. And if you trust him today, unbeliever, if you give up your life and decide to follow Christ with everything that you have, you turn. And that's what repentance means. Repentance is a turning. You're turning from following yourself, your things, your stuff, finding joy and pleasure here, and you say, no, the Lord is my joy. Now, I'm going to be perfect in this, but you're, the trajectory of your life, you're turning away from these things, you're turning towards Christ. then you too will be satisfied in him forever. The Lord is my fullest joy. I'm satisfied in him forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us joy in Christ. We look at David and we see such trust that one day victory over the grave will be accomplished. And you gave David the ability to believe this before Christ has come. Oh, what good news we have for people. That Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. And there's victory over sin, death, and hell because of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection in three days. 
what good news we have. Help us to be grounded in this, to love this, to love you, Lord, more than anything, to stake our lives on this truth. And then may we boldly proclaim it because we really believe it's good news. So bless the proclamation of your word. In Christ's name.